Hi, this is Erin James Brown. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. And I serve as the interim site pastor at Urban Village Church, Edgewater. Urban Village Church does bold, inclusive, and relevant ministry for people who were traumatized by church, people who feel overchurched, and even the non-churched folks. If you identify with any of these signifiers, we're so glad you're listening. Would you consider helping us continue this Jesus-loving ministry in and across Chicago and over the internet? You can make a generous recurring gift by going to our website, urbanvillagechurch.org backslash give. And thanks for helping us with your ears, actions, and dollars to build up God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And now, here's the latest sermon. Our scripture this morning is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 3, 7 through 16. John said to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits worthy of repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, What then should we do? In reply, he said to them, whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none, and whoever has food must do likewise. Even tax collectors came to be baptized, and they asked him, teacher, what should we do? He said to them, collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. Soldiers also asked him, and we, what should we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation and be satisfied with your wages. As the people were filled with with expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. The word of God for the people of God. Well, good morning. Hi. My name is Erin James Brown. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. And I am so glad that you are here this morning. Welcome. Will you pray with me? God, there is more than enough. You have lavished this earth with the beauty of your creation. You have given us great talents, to share with one another. And you have, off, you have given us the spirit of love and hope and mercy to cover this world for those who need it most. And so we offer this time to you, God, and we offer this space. May we be continually learning about your abundant love that is so evident around us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Uh, So, you know that the Holy Spirit shows up at UBC Edgewater with the woos and with the strobe lights. This is just a sign that God's presence is here. In order to understand John in the Gospel of Luke and why he's so flippin' angry, you have to remind yourself of his origin story just a few short passages before. John, the non-thong-tying teacher, 
is destined from birth to be, quote unquote, great in the sight of the Lord, which is a lot of pressure for a dude. And maybe it was the pressure of being that miracle baby born to aged parents, or maybe it was the fact that he was promised never to drink wine and he didn't sign up for that. Or maybe it was that he had always, from before his birth, been filled with the Holy Spirit doing baby-like gymnastics in the womb. He's just a fiery person. John is angry, but also disappointed because he sees these systems of injustice in which all are beholden to and demands that everybody do more. Instead of seeing John then as a fire and brimstone kind of preacher, telling the people, this is how you prevent from stop, drop, and rolling for all of eternity. Instead, I like to think of John as really telling them about the systems they're caught up in, about how they can act differently and think differently and be different just as God commands them. So the peace and prosperity of the Roman Empire, which let's not be fooled, is actually not peace and prosperity, but actually was uh, creating wealth for people centralized in power. So the poorest people were taxed out the wazoo in order to pay the richest citizens and fulfill their proclivities. So the tax collectors were actually expected, they weren't paid a whole lot, but they were expected to claim taxes more than what was listed on their job description in order to service the rest of the empire. And then in order to survive, they had to collect extra taxes in order to pay their own debts and to feed their own families. And soldiers were actually recruits from poor families. They were provided with limited access to healthcare, even though they put their bodies on the line for those bloodthirsty leaders. So their lack of payment was actually expected by, to extort money by threats, which is actually just a Greek way of saying harassing people and giving them the shakedown. And this was the way they were expected to survive under the Roman Empire. So after I did all this research this week and reading, I started to doubt John was dousing his followers with this haterade spewed on top of them. But he was actually trying to tell them, increasingly convince them that, he, that there is this good, radical news, a new way of living life abundantly. And so I have this deep sympathy for John. He's spitting and sputtering and insinuating that they are a brood of vipers, but I kind of wonder if he's talking tongue in cheek, saying, yeah, yeah, he says, I know you're caught up in the snake way of life, kill or be killed, but don't be deceived. There are ways to live other than just predator versus prey. I, see, I serve a God who harvests from the stones and sees fruit in things that appear dead. Our Advent, which is just a churchy word to say the four Sundays leading up to Christmas, but our Advent sermon series, which we are in now, is entitled Unexpected Gifts Unwrapping God's Values. I didn't come up with that. I'm not great with puns, but you get it. Last week, we talked about the anti-racist values that we as an institution try to live into and try to explore. We have aligned ourselves with a partner organization called Crossroads Anti-Racism Training and Organizing, and they've taught us some of these values, that there are these values that the world is taught to live into, sometimes called dominant values, sometimes called white institutional values, not meaning that white people only live into these, but these were built into the DNA, the fabric of our country from its beginning. And so we believe that these are also values that don't align with what God wants. That there are institutional transformational values we can be living into that kind of tear apart those values that tear us apart. So last week, we talked about the white 
institutional value of either or thinking, meaning that there are two options or two solutions to a problem, and only two options are solutions to a problem. It's either this or that, and one is better than the other, and so we should choose that one. Not everybody's going to be happy, but we all have to make sacrifices. And really, that limits our creativity to problem solving. It limits our ability to feel uh, a sense of joy moving forward in this decision. And so the transformational value that says we should be pushing against either or thinking, step back, take a breath, and think both and. Both this value or decision could be good and this decision could be good. I wonder if there's a hybrid, a mixing of the two decisions that could create something brand new that flourishes life for all. And so we try and live into these transformational values of being both and thinking. Thinking the Bible is not just uh, the word of God, never to be changed and there's no mistake in it, or not the word of God, but actually it's the word of God and it was written by humans. And that makes it kind of weird. And sometimes there's contradictions and different understandings of who God is. And we find that to be beautiful. At different points of our life, we feel deeply connected to certain passages of scripture because they resonate with what we're thinking and going through. So the transformational value we're talking about this morning is comparing the dominant world value of scarcity to the transformational value of abundance. Scarcity is this value that shapes and informs, I don't know, everything in my life. I start to believe that there are a limited number of resources, there's a limited amount of time, there's a limited number of dollars in my bank account. This is why I end up falling asleep on the couch, because I don't want to have to admit to myself and get up and wash my face in order to go to bed saying, I didn't send all those emails. That package didn't make it in the mail today. But actually, abundant world value says, it's okay. There is tomorrow. More time to answer more frickin' emails. <laughs> Scarcity squelches creativity and regularly responds with a knee-jerk reaction to say, no, 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 we can't do that. Our people are too tired. Or no, no, we have nothing more to give. We've tapped out our budget for that. Or no, I'm not talented enough. I can't contribute. This, this scarcity mentality oppresses the work of the Spirit and her ability to show up in creative, fiery-like ways. So that should be compared to what we are trying to actively root out in our lives and live into a new way of being, the transformative value of abundance. Abundance as a worldview believes, actually, despite what everybody wants to tell us, we have some power. How are we going to use this power? Abundance begins to look at the resources that the world doesn't often appreciate and uses those responsibly as a fuel for God's work. Our budget is limited, but we have passionate people. We have time to share. We have folks who can complete that task. Abundant living is not about being naive and having this Pollyanna-type uh, view of the world or maybe Leslie Nope view of the world. Abundant living actually engages this different part of our brain, causing us to have our imagination spark and sputter to life. I was thinking about ways that we, as a church, have lived abundantly. And some of you are, like Abigail, a little bit newer to our community, so I'm going to speed you up in some UVC history. 
In the summer of 2017, we engaged in a really active and really interesting Facebook campaign. I don't know how you feel about Facebook, but online is our best evangelism tool. Most people tell me they found us by Googling. Most people tell us they checked in on some of those, uh, those rating and reviews that people write. So just so you know, go and write a review because that is our way, our first ticket into the door for a lot of people who don't know if they can trust us. But anyway, that's beside the point. In 2017, we decided to launch into this Facebook campaign called God is Proud of You. In June of that year, we highlighted three different people, people groups from our community saying, this is someone who is queer and God is proud of them. And so we had Jarrell Wilson, who at the time was serving as the interim church planting resident here at UBC Edgewater. Some of you might have remembered Jarrell with his like lavish fro that he would sweep to the side. In the video, he's wearing his color and he says, I am a queer minister of the gospel and God is proud of me. We also featured a lesbian couple from our Wicker Park site. They're holding one another, kissing each other on Facebook for all the world to see. And they say, we love each other. We are loved by our church and God is proud of us. And in that video, we also featured a black lesbian woman who serves at our Hyde Park Woodlawn site. Her name is LV. LV has this infectious spirit about her. And in the video, she's smiling broadly and singing in her deep, raspy voice that she uses regularly in the church choir saying, God made me. God made me who I am. I'm queer, I'm a woman of color, and God is proud of me. And then in true LV fashion, because she's also a physical trainer, she starts showing off her muscles, because this is also welcoming, showing what God has gifted her with. And this is a beautiful representation of not just here at UBC Edgewater, but this community stretching across Lakeshore Drive and then a little further west into Wicker Park of what we are doing here at UBC. And so we posted this on Facebook. There were like a hundred shares and like a million views. And it was so great. And all of us were so excited. We then started taking apart those videos and posting. So on the UVC Edgewater Facebook page, we posted just the video of Jarrell saying, he is ours and we are his. God is proud. On the Hyde Park Woodlawn page, they posted the video of LV saying, she is ours and we are hers. And God is proud. It was something we were super excited and happy to be participating in. And then the internet does what the internet does, which is on all of those videos, no one received any kind of comments except for like, pride flag, love, laughing face, except for LV's page. LV is a black queer woman and there's this thing that Moya Bailey uh, coined called massage noir, meaning that women, black women specifically, experience compounding types of pressure and resentment from society. And I had not witnessed it in full display until I saw it on the comment pages under LV's story. And so LV is showing off her guns to one side, singing in her beautiful voice and not giving a flying F about what others think, but knowing that God is proud. And then the trolls start to creep out of the corners of the internet, leaving comments about God doesn't love the queer. This isn't of God. 
And girl, we as a staff started freaking the freak out, not knowing how to respond. What do we do to this sense of scarcity that there are certain people that do not belong in God's kingdom and community? How do we respond saying, no, 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 not here. You're not going to shame our people on our page. And so we got together as a staff trying to figure out how to not only support LV, but how to say to the rest of the world, there is more than enough room at God's table. And so as a staff, we agreed, haters going to hate. We're going to leave those comments up as a testament to people knowing that this is still something we are working against in 2017, that this real and visceral and vehement thing is something we have to be working actively against because powers and principalities are real in the world. But also, we are as sly as serpents and as innocent as doves here at UBC. And so the pastor at UBC Hyde Park Woodlawn went onto her Facebook page and sent like a million private messages saying, hey, I don't know if you've seen this lately, but there are some, some haters out there coming on our page trying to say what we can do, what God can do in this city and in this world. And instead of engaging with those, I want you to write a comment about what you love about LV pour out this abundance of what she does for our community, what she contributes to us, and how God has abundantly shared her gifts with us. And so the Facebook page starts to pop up and read. There streams a hundred comments saying, LV has so much energy that all the kids want to chase her and race her around after service. And none of the parents want to do it, but they're so thankful she does because then they can take the kids home for a nap later. When LV shows up for worship, she brings her full self, singing beautifully, clapping along, and bringing us all to engage the spirit of God present there. That LV can do more push-ups than I could ever imagine possible, and that makes her a strong woman in our community, and God is so proud. Instead of engaging in the scarcity mentality, even feeding into it saying, there's not enough room, that there's not enough space, that God doesn't have enough love. Instead, the community decided to respond with overwhelming, abundant love. There is so much love to give, that God is so proud of the queer, and that this is the space where God has chosen to show up in God's spirit, helping us feel the love and know that it is true. And so we got to the service that Sunday, and I was preaching at Hyde Park Woodlawn, and I brought this up because I thought it was something the community needed to know about. And LV, in true LV fashion, had not checked Facebook at all and was like, oh, I didn't even know about that. <laughs> she had no idea about the outpouring of abundant love for her, but for her community. John does this with his followers. They can't imagine the fruit of repentance when the crop that year yielded nothing but death. The question, what should we do? These, this crowd asked three times, which is a, biblical, a number of biblical importance, which means we should sit forward a little bit, listen a little more intently to what John responds. So when the crowd says, what shall we do? John says, share. When the tax collectors say, what shall we do? John says, work against the systems that demand you act unjustly and do justice. And when the, when the soldiers say, what shall we do? John responds, don't act out of fear that there's not enough, but participate with the most radical act, which is compassion. Abundance, then, thinks creatively. 
looks for resources in any and all corners of our world and assumes, assumes that there is more than enough. There are enough smart ideas, enough willing hands, and enough compassionate hearts in a room to get the job done. Abundant living sees a small budget and decides it's actually better to spend a little bit more to support a company that values its employees over ethical greed. Rather than rushing to fear that there is not enough time or people or resources, abundant living requires us to step back, to take a little bit of a breath, maybe to ask once or twice or three times, okay, what shall we do? Because when we ask, what shall we do? When we ask it again and again, the text says in Greek, they're asking earnestly. So sometimes, Radical and sometimes simple suggestions seep into our hearts and minds when we allow ourselves not to give into that knee-jerk reaction of scarcity, but to step back and take a deep breath and say, what shall we do? What could God do here? Because our God does not fear scarcity. The reality of our world is that God knows who will win in the end and how this will all shake out, not with a shakedown. Therefore, our belief is that God's promises are real. We serve a God who causes stones to bear fruit. We serve a God who sees trees that appear worthless, and then God repurposes them for fire that lights up our whole world. Will you pray with me? God, there are so many places and spaces in our world that try to demand our attention, try to tell us that we are not enough, try to limit our imagination around what is possible. But you, God, are the one who sits back and says, I can work with this. There is enough. In this ever-warming world, there are ways and spaces to decrease that sped-up cycle of climate change. When it feels like there's not enough food, for anyone in this world, we know, God, that there actually is enough. There is abundant food everywhere, and it takes creative resources to find out how we resource to everyone. It is you, God, who sit back and say, I am so proud. There is enough space at this table, and all are welcome here. And so, God, we ask that you take our minds and our hearts and our hands. Help us to feel the courage to make a change, to live abundantly in our world. And so it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.